All right, guys, welcome back to Yes, Lesson 81. Hard to believe, here we are still plowing through uh, the book of Numbers. And the reality is, is that when we first started studying the Word here in Numbers, I mean, the cool, one of the coolest chapters was is that we started talking about the formation of, of the Israeli army. And it counted. Everything was counted. Everybody's counted. Everybody's counted. Now, we just jumped from just yesterday, Numbers 13, talking about... Uh, Taylor, do you remember how many, how many scouts went into the land? It was at 12. It was 12. So everything... It sounds obvious, but everything is numbers. And so that's what we're going to continue to plow through. But before we really jump in, uh, you know, I, I'd love Mike Tyrone to introduce. We, we're back in, not just with the peanut gallery, praise the Lord. We have some other people that might be able to help us. <laughs> it really is an honor that you guys are here. Thanks for jumping in. Uh, you know, we are just love walking through out obedience what the Lord tells us to do. It's crazy to think that literally it wasn't, it was less than six months ago that the Lord asked us very clearly, our team, to go into the Word of God for two years. Every single day. You imagine we're doing this for 730 lessons and we're on lesson 81. (laughs) Dear Lord, help us. And so anyway, we're excited about this process, but man, there's so much that we can learn from. And as we begin to do this, I kind of want to walk through, uh, you know, our friend Warren Wearsby back here uh, in in our books and our commentaries. Uh, I want to walk through, he talks about five blatant sins that take place in Numbers 13 and in 14 that I really believe you know, we might not be Israelites, but man, we sure can learn from them. And, and so, Kevin, we're going to go to the board here as well. You know, the very first one is, is that we saw this over and over again, and we talked about this yesterday, is about doubting God's word. I mean, how many times in Numbers 13, 1 through 25, did people doubt God's word? He said, I'm going to send you into the land flowing with milk and honey. And oh, by the way, you're going to have the enemies, the Canaanites and the Hibuzites and the Jebusites, all of these. Yeah, they're going to be there, but they doubted that God's promise through Abraham, through Isaac, through Jacob, they doubted it. And so that was, that was one of the sins. And I, honestly, I think the reality is that even in the American church, even in the Dallas church, how many of us question, oh, is this still real today? So in some regards, we fault the scouts, but there are times when we're like, I, I don't know if I believe that this can happen. I mean, let's go extreme for a second. You know, you know, we have some friends that are really sick right now, a friend of ours in the hospital. Man, I promise you, I now believe that I can pray for healing. Why wouldn't I believe that? But there's times that when you pull back and you're like, I don't know if that's for today. It's those kind of real issues to me that, that keep coming up. And do we doubt God's word or do we not? That's one of the issues that the scouts had. And then the second one that we saw in Numbers 13 yesterday <laughs> is that when you doubt God's word, what happens is you begin to discourage God's people. And so what, what did the, uh, you know, Rich, let's go to you for a second. What, what did the scouts come back and start talking about? Uh, well, one of them, they said that the people in the land were too big, too numerous. And so the whole report was, is they didn't talk about the fruit a whole lot. They talked about like, oh, you know, this can't happen. I don't know. I'm going to go on a whim here for a second with you guys. Have you ever had a moment where something didn't come to fruition in your life? You prayed for it and it just, it didn't happen. So they doubt God's word. And then because of that, they begin to discourage other people. So now let's jump into Numbers 14. Numbers 14, 1 through 10, number three is, is that what happens is because you discourage God's people, you begin, you're defying God's will. So God actually might have an incredible plan, but then you begin to defy uh, this process. So in verse one of Numbers 14, it says, and the whole community broke into loud cries and the people wept that night. Well, remember the backdrop is, is that the skies just, that the spies just said, we can't do this. Can you imagine two to three million people, depending who you ask, They've been banking on going into the land, and now everybody comes back and says, no, you can't do this. So here you have in verse 1, because they're discouraging God's people, now they're defying God's will, and they're like, they're crying. 
I wonder, Rich, if this is like uh, when they were crying at the tent because they had to keep eating manna. It was totally what I was thinking of. Like, just grown <laughs> men wailing at, at their tent, just, you know, I can't like, do this anymore. That's all they do is whine and complain, but now it's drastic, and rightfully so. This is like a legit cry. Because they're trusting the, the, the mighty men, the, the Navy SEALs, right, of the, of the Israelites, and they're trusting them to come back with a report, and they hear this awful report, and it says in verse 2, well, all the Israelites complained about Moses and Aaron. <laughs> thought they were complaining about the land. You would think so. And you'd think they'd complain about the spies. But now it's all of a sudden the brothers are the problem. If only we had died in the land of Egypt or if only we had died in this wilderness. Like, when are they going to stop? It's like all I feel like we're doing is teaching in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. I feel like all I do is complain. Talk about they're complaining. Oh, by the way, like they got out of Egypt. Remember, three days later, they're complaining. We don't have anything. You know, and you're later, three days later, they're complaining again. And so why is, it says this in verse three, why is the Lord bringing us into this land to die by the sword or our wives and little children, they'll become plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt where they're slaves, where they're working their tail off and, and that's their mindset. So they said to another, hey, let's appoint a leader and go back to Egypt. Man, I would say if I was Moses, I'd be like, have at it. Have fun. Yeah, go ahead, Andrew. You want to take that mic? Yeah. I mean, one of the reasons why is if you went to Israel and you saw where they were in Egypt, they had homes, they had neighborhoods, they were worked, but it was as though they had regular jobs, they had regular food, they had breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So they had a life. It was a ghetto, but it was a life. (laughs) And so now they're out in the tents and they have nothing. That's right. So... You want something that's comfortable or you want something that's unknown. So that's what you're dealing with. Great word, Steve. What do you got? Yeah, I was just going to say um, we know God can do it for us, but then we say, but he won't. And so I want to go back what I know because I fear what I don't know. So I'm willing to take the bad stuff instead of trust God for the good stuff. So that's unfortunately where I live a lot, that I know God can provide. He will provide. But for some reason, I put it on myself that he won't. And that's not the kind of God we serve, but it's a struggle that I have, and I grumble a lot because of that. You know, I, thanks for your honesty. I think, honestly, if you guys would actually be bold enough to say that, then we all agree with Steve. Well, I was going to say that, but you went to him first. Okay, good. Yeah, right. All right, let, let's just go to a couple of verses here. I just To talk about the complaining, because when we, when we get our eyes off of him— and we forget the, without faith, it's impossible to please him. And we, we naturally gravitate to, oh, I'd rather have the Egyptian lifestyle. So let's go to 1 Corinthians 10, 10. Paul is talking to the church of Corinth. And, you know, he states kind of the obvious stuff. But in 1 Corinthians 10, 10, it says, nor should we complain as some of them did. And so he just says a simple line, we shouldn't complain. I don't know if you guys have kids. <laughs> I have four of them. I should use this as a main verse for my life. I mean, what kid doesn't complain? I don't know, Rich. Maybe you have, like, the golden kids. Oh, no. So not it. But you need to be careful because sometimes they could throw it back in your face. What do you mean? If they catch you complaining, hey, Dad, you're not supposed to complain. Oh, it happens all the time. I, they're always like, hey, Dad, oh, yeah, like you talk, you live like that, really, like you teach, you know, kind of like they throw that at you. One more verse, Philippians 2, verse, uh, see if I can read my writing, 14. Philippians 2, verse 14, just to talk about the complaining, it just says, do everything without grumbling and gar- arguing. Gargling. <laughs> Yeah, ghoul, ghoul, one of the scouts, right? No, but here's the truth. I mean, you wake up every day, you have a choice. Is this, is this life-giving or is this life-sucking? I don't know how else to put that. Like, I, I just feel like, like they had an opportunity to experience a move of God. 
You could go into the promised land. Yeah, it's going to be hard. Yeah, you're going to see the enemies. But man, I promise you, I'm going to bless your socks off with milk, with honey. And there's a whole lot more. And they just start responding to guys who are giving them discouraging words. And they're defying the will of God. And they said, well, let's go find somebody else. So it says in verse five, after Moses and Aaron heard this, it says they fell down with their faces to the ground in front of everybody, in front of the whole assembly of the Israelite community. And I love this. It says in verse six, Joshua, son of Nun and Caleb, son of, oh no, Jephunneh, <laughs> who were among those who scattered out the land toward the close. So let me give you a real quick picture. You have Moses and Aaron, okay, in verse five, like really the patriarchs, the guys that are setting the stage. And then you have the new guys and they're both responding, I think, in a way that's of humility and of, of the Lord. You're going to see a pattern, I believe, of great men of God. That every time that they sense something from the Lord, they hit the ground. Moses hears this, he fell face down. In fact, go to Numbers 16.22. Over and over, Moses is on behalf of his people. In Numbers 16.22, it says, Both Moses and Aaron fell face down. And they said, God, God of the spirits of all flesh, when one man sins, when will you vent your wrath on the whole community? Like they're constantly falling on their face. But the fear in us, in the fear of man, honestly, if the Lord tells us to fall on our face in church, most of us probably wouldn't do it. Now, yeah, if you run in the charismatic streams, everybody's flopping on the ground. Like, I get that. And that's part of some of the circles that we have to and get to engage. Flopping? Well, it's true. Have you Flopping. I have some multiple scenarios. But my point is this. Like, it's not a level of whole, uh, um, how holy you are. But I do believe you guys. Like, we've got to position ourselves where it doesn't matter what people think. Like, and I, I don't know if we live in that posture. I don't know if we live in that place. We live more in, hey, how, how's my jacket look today, Rich? Looks really good. Go, goes well with your beard. Thanks, I tried it out. But like, that shouldn't bother me. That shouldn't drive us. It should be that when we get to serve folks, uh, we do it because the Lord's asking us to do this, not because of how they're going to perceive us. And that's the beauty of what I love about Moses. In fact, he, he's the most humble man ever. He just told us. In fact, he wrote about it himself. Hey, by the way, there's nobody more humble than me. <laughs> and in fact, number 1645, I, I just want to reiterate this because, man, if there's something, an attribute that I want to live like is that I want to learn this humility before the Lord. Number 1645, get away from this community so that I may consume them instantly. And it says they fell face down. When I think of Robert Coleman, my mentor, my teacher for three years when I was at Gordon-Conwell for my doctorate, I'll never forget sitting in a small classroom of 19, 20 people from all over the United States. And man, we'd be opening up in prayer. And the next thing you know, he was on his face. And I always remember thinking, why am I not like that? I remember actually thinking more than that. I remember thinking, why don't I have that desire? And so it really began to teach me to dig into people of prayer. E.M. Bounds, if anybody hasn't read anything about E.M. Bounds, like this man, his incredible man of God, devout man of prayer. And, I, you know, he always used to say, you know, often we stop praying when we ought to start praying. And I love that picture because I feel like that's what Moses and Aaron are doing. And so here you have Moses and Aaron falling to the ground. They just said, we need to be replaced. <laughs> yeah, I'd probably fall down too. And then in verse 6, Joshua and Caleb, they begin to tear their clothes. They begin to show a sign of like, this is not right. This isn't settling with me. And in verse 7, it says, and they said to the entire community, so now we have two men that are not defying God's will. We have two men that actually believe that God is uh, in his word. And they actually want to encourage people. So they're doing the opposite of what the 10 scouts. And they said, hey, the land that we passed through, and explored, it's extremely good land. 
If the Lord is pleased with us, he'll bring us into this land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and he, he's going to give it to us. And then in verse 9, it says, only don't rebel against the Lord. And don't, don't be afraid of the people of the Lord. Like, buck up, you guys. Kevin. Back in 9, you know, Joshua and Caleb know that it's, God's got to be pleased with them to bring them into the land. Yeah, it's the only way it's going to work. So don't be afraid. Uh, look what the scripture says. We, we will devour them. <laughs> it's the opposite of what the 10 said. The complete opposite. Their protection has been removed from them. So all of these things uh, of the Canaanites, like they have nothing against us. The Lord is with us. Do not be afraid. It's what we talked about in Deuteronomy 1, about how Moses actually believed, like, this is all his. God's going to give it to him. And I think, at what point will we actually walk like we are confident in the Lord? I never forget interacting with a Muslim on an airplane. And I was talking to him about Jesus. And he said, you know, I'm not going to believe what you believe. Well, that's fine. This is going to be a long plane ride. <laughs> but what I like about you, he said, and it had nothing to do with me, he sensed the Spirit of God, was that you're bold enough to talk to me about it. You're bold enough to actually believe this and then tell me. And he said a line that just really still bothers me today. He said, why don't more Christians talk about your Jesus? And I think he was implying, like, we function more in fear of man than we do about what the Lord's asking us to do. Our lens is mankind. It's not the Spirit of God. And so Joshua and Caleb are two guys that they radically step up and, and they own this. Man, to me, uh, Tom, maybe that's why you named your son Caleb, now that you realize that he's in the Bible. <laughs> you know, Kyle, um, when I see Joshua and Caleb standing up in front of the whole Israelite uh, just community, I, th- I can't help but think of the picture that, uh, of these guys being in the world but not of the world. Like, regardless mm. of what... I'm not afraid of what the rest of my Israelite buddies are going to think of me, yeah. but I know what the Lord has said, and we are not to look like the world, and I'm just going to go for it, and I'm going to trust what the Lord says. Uh, we, we can't function in the spirit of rebellion against what the Lord, the Lord is saying. And in fact, there's an interesting thing I want to go to here. It says that we will devour them. Uh, do you guys remember, can you go to Genesis 15, 16? Uh, this to me really stands out, and it's all about the Lord's timing. Like if they would have tried this earlier, it wouldn't have worked. Do you guys remember this verse? We talked about this. It says, In the fourth generation they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. So here you have in Genesis, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's story, right? And it says, You can't do anything yet because the sin of the Amorites hasn't taken place yet. The completeness of this. And now, all of a sudden, he's saying, The time is coming. I'm going to relinquish their rights because the sin has hit their max. I think it's a cool picture of, of God's, it's really of, of God's timing. Let's go to verse 10 if you can. So here's what they say. Joshua and Caleb, they say, hey, let's do this. <laughs> and it says the whole community threatened to stone them. Two bold people against two million people. Let's just say that number for, for conversation piece. And the entire community grabbed a stone. Yeah. <laughs> we, we don't really understand persecution in the U.S. When we say something, they, they mock us. They might write something bad about us on the internet or, hey, they might not work with us. Can you imagine two million people saying, I'm going to chuck a stone at you? But at the same time, the people's response, I love this, the glory of the Lord showed up as well. When the people of God act like the people of God, God shows up. It says the glory of the Lord appeared to all of the Israelites at the tent of the meeting. And so in, in number four, uh, I'm sorry, in number 11, verse 11, 
But number four here with Wearsby. So you got doubting God's word. They're discouraging God's people. They're defying God's will. But then what you have is, is in Numbers 14, 11 through 38, you know what they're going to get? They're going to get what they deserve. <laughs> they are deserving God's judgment. And so here you have four different instances. And so Moses says in verse 11, the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people despise me? How long will they not trust in me despite all the signs I've performed among them? Like, when are they going to get it? I'm going to strike them with a plague. I'm going to destroy them. Then I'm going to make you into a greater and mightier nation than they. So Moses, I'm just going to take you and Aaron. Let's, let's just go. Let's start a new Israel. Well, I'd be like, if I'm Moses, I'm like, well, that sounds good. It'll be a lot easier, a lot cleaner. And he says, in fact, uh, he doesn't say that because Moses has a heart for his people. He doesn't bail on them. And Moses replied to the Lord, the Egyptians will hear about it, for by your strength you brought up this people from them. In verse 14, he's concerned about God's reputation amongst the Egyptians. It's a weird, con- it's a weird uh, intercession, but this is what he does. He said, they're going to talk about this to the inhabitants of the land. They've heard you, Lord, among these people that you... Lord, are seen face to face, how your cloud stands over them, how you go before them by day and by night, by the fire and by the cloud. And then he says in verse 15, Scripture continues, if you kill this people with a single blow, then, oh, by the way, not just Egypt is going to think of you as a bad reputation, but all of the nations now are going to question who you are. So this is Moses' intercession, Moses' prayer. I can promise you, I don't, I I never pray like this. (laughs) But I love how Moses thinks. And then the scripture just continues on in verse 16. Since the Lord wasn't able to bring this people into land. Oh, by the way, God, you're, you can't do this. That's what they're going to think. He slaughtered them in the wilderness. He couldn't even grab two million people and just bring them over here. And so then everybody's going to question them. And then verse 18. I love this. The Lord is slow to anger. One of the most quoted verses in all of the Old Testament. The Lord is slow to anger. He's rich in faithful love. And praise the Lord, forgiving of wrongdoing and rebellion. In fact, in Exodus, it even talks about wrongdoing, rebellion, and sin he forgives. But he won't leave the guilty unpunished. No worry, he's going to take care of them. Bringing the consequences of the father's wrongdoing on the children to the third and fourth generation. And so here, here it is. Moses says this, I, I love the Israelites. I love the people of God. And so in his prayer, this is what he says, Please pardon the wrongdoing of this people. In keeping with the greatness of your faithful love, please, just as you have given them from Egypt until now. In other words, it's the, it's the Nehemiahs praying, Lord, spare Jerusalem, spare this people. Like, at what point will we, and I'll just go there, at what point have we ever prayed, Lord, spare America? Guys, we're a mess. I don't care if you're Democrat or Republican. I don't care if you're Jew or Gentile. This nation is legitimately a mess. We haven't seen a move of God in our lifetime. My parents, your parents haven't seen a move of God nationally in our lifetime. And sometimes I just wonder, like, do we have the heart of Moses that just said, would you just please just spare us? And and maybe God's hand is sparing us right now. Maybe we we aren't getting what we deserve, and that's probably the case. But Moses says, please pardon the people. And then look what the Lord does in verse 20. The Lord says, I have pardoned them as you requested. I love this forgiveness. Can you go to Psalm 130, verse 4? Psalm 130, verse 4, forgiveness will always, always lead to fear. Psalm 130, verse 4, but with you there is forgiveness so that you may be revered. So here I have these people complaining and whining, I can't go in, but when there's forgiveness, when there's real forgiveness, it should lead in our hearts to the fear of God. <laughs> with the Israelites, we know that that's not always the case. <laughs> but I think for me, that's, that's my prayer, that's my desire And in verse 21, yet as surely as I live, 
and as the whole earth is filled with the Lord's glory. Look what he says, though. There's going to be judgment because of doubting God's word, because of discouraging God's people, because of defying God's will. There's going to be legit judgment. And here's the judgment. None of the men who have seen my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt in, and in the wilderness and have tested me these ten times and did not obey me, keep going, will ever see the land I swore to give their fathers. None of those who have despised me will see it. It's like this is the famous verse. Verse is, you know, they've been waiting for the promised land. For how long? A long, long time. And because of, honestly, ten guys said we can't do it. A whole nation, they can't go into the land. I don't know, you guys got any thoughts, any comments on this? Anything that stand out to you? Just that it doesn't take much negativity to influence a a huge crowd, and we see that just in in the news these days where you have people that are planted to to sow discord, and they experience the the same thing, just a few. And and it just amazes me over and over that all the things they they had already seen God perform Yet again, they're saying, no, we're, we're going to stone you and go back to Egypt. Just, just amazing to me. And what happened is, is that he said, I, I tested you guys. You guys tested me 10, 10 times. And Andrew, you had a great line. You know, he, he references 10 times. Why do you think he referenced 10 times? Do you remember your correlation that you had made? Well, I guess you could say the 10 plagues. Yeah. I mean, there's correlation of numbers, the 12 spies, the 12 tribes of Israel. Yeah. So there's a lot of correlation. A lot of correlation. So here you have 10 plagues, uh, and then he says, you've tested me 10 times. I I don't know if they correlate, but I love how here we are in the book of Numbers. (laughs) Something's going to connect. And so, look, because of time, I'm just going to walk you through. I'm not even going to write them down. Uh, No, let's not even write them down. I'm just going to reference them, okay? 10 times about the Israelites, how they possibly rejected the Lord, okay? So number one, we know that, you know, in the Red Sea, remember when it seemed that Pharaoh's army was going to defeat them, and then they're freaking out? you know, in Exodus 14. And then they're at Mara, uh, where they, they found the bitter water. Remember, like, hey, God, where's the water? The whole thing. And they're questioning the water in Exodus 15. And then in the desert, uh, desert, desert. <laughs> I'm hungry for food. We've been talking about manna all the time. It's a desert, not a dessert, okay? Anyway, and so, you know, remember where they, they, uh, they hungered for more? They hungered for more in, in Exodus 16. And then again in the wilderness, then they paid no attention to Moses coming. Uh, and then he's talking about the manna in Exodus 16 again. And then they disregarded Moses and they, they didn't even want to collect the manna on the seventh day. So here you have another illustration in Exodus 16. And then at Rephidim, they, they complained about the water in Exodus 17, like over and over this, this complaining, like it was a pattern. And then it just says at Mount Sinai, it says, uh, you know, the whole golden calf deal. We know that in Exodus 32. That was a humdinger. And then at Taborah, where the people, uh, you know, they raged against the Lord because that's where they wanted all of their, their quail and all of this context. Oh, man. And it just continued to build. And then they raged against the Lord, first of all. And then they wanted their quail in Numbers 11. That's number nine. And then in Kadash, uh, we know we had a map up here yesterday at Kadash, Benara, uh, Kadash Barnea. I think I said that somewhat right. Uh, anyway, uh, where they refuse to believe the report, the report 10 times. Well, I just flew through that. I get that. But I think just want you to hear like the Lord, the Lord counts. <laughs> now, I know when we're in the new covenant, the new, the new, the new, uh, the new covenant under Christ, like love keeps no record of wrongdoings. I get this. And I believe that Christ actually sets us free. But in this context, man, dear Lord, they didn't obey him. And because of that, literally an entire nation 
except for those that were under 20 years old could get in. You know, Kyle, I was going to say that you saw the power of the forgiveness, but you also saw the consequences of sin. Yeah. I mean, it just really just shines light on both brightly. Constantly. Yeah. Okay, so because of time, here's where we're going to go today, guys. We're going to, we're going to go to verse 26. The Lord speaks to Moses and to Aaron. He's already told them they're going to bring this judge. They're getting their judgment, what they deserve. And then he begins to say, how, how long uh, do I have to endure this stuff? How long do I have to put up with this stuff with your people? <laughs> you know? And so he says, your corpses are going to fall right into the wilderness. And so anybody 20 years or older aren't going to get in. And then he just keeps walking through. Only the kids are going to experience this. But your corpses are going to fall in the wilderness. Like it's a, it's a legit death march is what he says. You're going to march and walk until your death. Well, that's, sign me up. Like it sounds horrible. And then ultimately he hears all this. Joshua and Caleb in verse 38, okay, they were the ones, the only ones who were going to remain alive and go into the land. So here you have doubting God's word, discouraging God's people, defying God's will, deserving God's judgment. And then watch, number five, just when you think the Israelites, no offense to our Jewish friend here, could be an idiot enough, they went farther. They just said they're not going to get in the promised land. So now watch what happens. Moses reported all of this to the Israelites. The people were overcome with grief, but no repentance. Because true repentance, watch this. It says they got up early the next morning and they disregarded, this is number five, they disobeyed God's command. You guys, they were supposed to stay around and march. Disobeyed God's command. And they were not supposed to go into the land, right? No longer are they going to go into the land. They got up early the next morning. They went to the ridge of the hill and they said, let's go to the place where God promised for we were wrong. So they try to counteract what God had just told them to do. But Moses said, what are you, what are you doing? It's not going to succeed. Don't go. The Lord is not among you and you will be defeated. And I'll just tell you guys, when we walk in sin and you try to compensate for your sins, it always catches up with you. Always. And there's people that think they can just get away with it. And praise the Lord, we can learn from the Israelites in this scenario. But he said, the Lord's not with you. Don't go. And in fact, in verse 43, he describes the Amalekites and the Canaanites. They're in front of you. You're, you're going to fall by the sword. The Lord's not going to be with you. And since you've turned from following him. But in verse 44, they did it. They dared to go up to the ridge, even though the Ark of the Lord's covenant. And Moses, look at this, did not leave the camp. God didn't go with them. And I just think if we're not careful, even in the American church, or even as a follower of, of, of Yeshua, like when you get out of line of the will of God, <laughs> I think sometimes it's better just to slow down and fall on our face rather than try to force something and, and, and try to do it in our own, in our own will and our own strength. And I think it's time for humility in the church. I think it's time for humility in the body of Christ to say, you know what? We, we actually might be out of line in the American church. There might be some things that we might need to say, well, let's, let's pull back. God, God might not be with us. Man, it takes radical humility. And I'll tell you, Joshua and Caleb had it. Moses and Aaron had it. But unfortunately, the rest of the Israelites, they did not. The only thing I want to just close with, I think it's a, it's a simple quote. Um, Mr. Robinson says this, Obedience is the origin of spiritual knowledge. And I feel like that can actually summarize everything about this lesson today. When we are obedient, we can actually walk out the will of God. We can actually experience and know the will of God. But when you're not obedient to what he's asking us to do, 
God's not, as Warren Wiersbe says, God's not obligated to tell us his will. And so for me, Numbers 13 and Numbers 14, you got two guys and you have 10. The question is, is which one do you want to be? And so just want to say thank you for coming in today, guys. Thanks for joining us on this, this journey of plowing through the word of God. We don't have it all figured out because we'll probably fall into this camp sometime today or tomorrow. <laughs> but praise the Lord, we have forgiveness and he can still set us free from that stuff that keeps us in bondage. And I don't know, those that are listening, uh, I don't know where you're at if you're doubting or if you're discouraging or if you're de- defying or you're embracing God's judgment or you're disobeying. But either way, scripture says when you walk in the spirit, the spirit will set you free. I just want to say thanks for listening today to Lesson 81. Thanks.